Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Think buyers first versus revenue first. This is something Mike Weir, the chief revenue officer at G2, shares in this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast. Helping the buyer should be your core focus to create the best experience for your buyer to not only be successful, but to keep coming back to your business as a partner, helping to drive value. Mike and I also discuss how the buyer experience has changed and what go-to-market teams should be thinking about as the market continues to evolve. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. So please take a listen to this longtime revenue leader about the buyer experience, but also about data, the power of revenue operations, and so much more. So excited to be here today with Mike Weir, the CRO at G2. For those of you who might not be familiar with G2, although I can't imagine any listeners who wouldn't be, um, G2 is the largest and most trusted software marketplace where people can make the best software decisions based on authentic, real reviews from peers. So welcome, Mike, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So we have a very well-aligned approach to revenue and to revenue operations. So I am really excited to chat with you about driving and optimizing revenue, especially through that strategic business partnership, right, between the chief revenue officer and the VP of RevOps. So let's talk a little bit about your journey, right? A little bit about your journey that led you to becoming G2CRO almost two years ago. You've had just an amazing career in sales and in marketing with several years spent at CDW and then at LinkedIn in various roles before joining G2. Can you share maybe more about your journey and some of those key milestones that have led you to where you are today? Um, I've been in the tech industry my whole career. So a couple decades now. And as you alluded to, I've I've worked across some amazing brands that have taught me a ton about how to build a successful business, how to support a successful business. And I, I started in marketing and you know learned a ton over there, which I think is, is why I've always been so closely aligned and kind of dependent on the revenue operations team, which we'll get into. You know, Being a marketer, I was very data-driven. I had to analyze the market and understand what was going on. And then over time, I just wanted to get closer and closer to the customer. And then that's what led me over to the sales side of the house when I made the transition to LinkedIn from CDW. Uh, And then ultimately made the jump to G2 because I was helping build out the technology vertical within LinkedIn's marketing solutions business. 
And I saw the opportunity and I was excited about being a part of building a marketplace that's very much for buyers. There's so much going on with technology buyers that requires some dedicated focus. So brought me over to G2 to try to help make it even better. Awesome. That's awesome. You know, sometimes when I, you know, when we talk, think about our careers, there's sometimes that sort of aha moment, right? That really makes you see things from a different perspective. And I think you touched on it maybe a little bit just now about your journey from LinkedIn to G2, but along your journey, was there a moment in time or maybe an event that really helped kind of shape or change your career? Or maybe it's a person, you know, was there a person who really influenced, you know, some of the choices? that you made? I think it's, there was definitely a very unique transition that I made from, you know, being a, a senior marketer at CDW after having worked at, you know, manufacturers of technology before that and saying, you know, I think my future career is being a CMO and I'm really excited about that. I loved marketing, but I was always a marketer that was very close to sales. And so I, I was fortunate to have a couple of different mentors that really encouraged me to get even closer to sales. And so that led me to like this aha moment of like, wow, if I'm going to be an amazing CMO in the future, I have to get sales even more deeply than I do. Just kind of shadowing and meeting with a sales team and being on customer calls. I have to go over there and own a revenue stream. And that kind of aha moment led me you know, ultimately the LinkedIn and jumping into the sales organization, which <laughs> kind of got me to the second aha is like, I'm not going back. <laughs> I love it over here on the revenue side. I love working day in and day out with customers. So like, how do you leverage our platform at LinkedIn now at G2 to help your business? But more than anything, like, how do I help you get how technology buying is changing to adapt your strategy and to build a stronger business and how do you build long-term relationships with buyers that create happy customers that ultimately build a really big successful business with high retention rates and you know hopefully expansion as well yeah that's awesome i kind of moved over to the dark side of sales and never never looked back <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about g2 you know g2 is um one of the most recognizable companies, especially in the tech space, you know, and, and you've experienced such just incredible growth over the last few years. It's really remarkable to see, you know, the company continuing to expand its footprint and its offerings, you know, so I guess maybe from your perspective, what are some of the key elements that have really contributed to this high growth that G2 has experienced? It all starts with the core focus of help buyers. I think there's, there's a lot of roadblocks. There's a lot of inhibitors that could have been put out there if we were just thinking about revenue first. Mm -hmm. That would have created a horrible buyer experience and would have caused our audience to, to not be as engaged, to not come back to us for more insights about the technology that they're using or the technology that they're considering purchasing. And so that kind of focus on the buyer was huge. Mm -hmm. I think an aspect of that really, which is unique, is that it's an open marketplace. You don't have to be a paying customer to be there, right? We have well over 110,000 vendors and products represented within the marketplace. The, you know, the vast, vast majority of them are free. They are mm -hmm. not paying customers of ours, but we want to make sure that when buyers come to G2, they can discover all the amazing brands that are available for their need type. 
And so there's not just the four biggest CRM players in the world, there's 50 plus global CRM solutions that then has options for you to get the insights around, you know, what are the best from an SMB perspective? What are the best for enterprise? What are the best ones for EMEA? The best ones in Asia Pacific or Latin America? And so that that ability to kind of start with a very open marketplace to discover what's available and then drill in more and more to your specific need to get insights from peers and other real users has just helped create a ton of buyer value. And that's what we're focused on. Yeah, I love that. I love that really helping the buyer and being buyer focused versus revenue focused. Um, and I think about you is in that unique space because every time I know every time I'm thinking about right buying a technology and I have a need or a solution, you know, for a solution, my go-to is G2, right? If I'm if I'm looking for actual customer reviews, I like to look at G2, right? There's just so much ava- information available to us, right? As prospective buyers today, it's a, just a completely different market, right? Different experience. What are you seeing, I guess, in the market? Like how has the buyer experience changed, you know, over the last couple of years and where do you see it headed? Yeah, there, there's a lot of different dynamics to, to talk <laughs> about there, but a couple, a couple that have been going on for a, quite a while, but we're seeing a ton of is that, you know, obviously the buying committee has gotten bigger, right? Even at SMB companies, there are more people at the table because, every software that's being purchased is now thought about as what's the business value that this is going to be providing versus 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, you know, it was still kind of more thought of for the IT function of it. Yeah. And so you've got a ton of different functions at the table analyzing, should we buy this? Who should we buy it from? How do we implement it successfully? And ultimately what's the business value that's going to drive for us? And we're seeing that every single day on our platform with, you know, the buyers that are logging in, the buyers that are just actively engaging with the reviews. They're coming from all functions across a company. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of different functions that are coming in and looking for their own specific insights. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm, I'm a CRO and I want to understand the latest sales automation software, what it can do for me. But the interesting trend that's occurring is they're also using platforms like G2 to better get in the mindset of what are the others that are sitting around this buying committee table? Mm-hmm. What are they experienced? What are they thinking about? What's the value they should be getting? So if I'm looking at it from a CRO perspective, I'm also searching through to see what are, what are marketers mm-hmm. saying about this? Like, Are they liking how this flows into the MarTech stack? Are the CMOs and marketing operations leaders getting value from this as well? And then that helps inform my perspective as I talk with you know Amanda, our CMO, about how we're creating a unified RevTech MarTech stack. It's like, hey, I'm I'm seeing you know potential concerns about this product we're considering based on what marketers are saying. Like, do you share these concerns? Is this going to be a problem for us? And so it's not only just more people at the table, but they're really thinking about others' perspectives in a very different way than what we've seen historically. Before, it was just trying to convince everybody to follow your opinion. Mm-hmm. Now they're trying to get each other's perspectives 
to align and make smart decisions together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I think that kind of feeds into just, you know, the whole alignment across the go-to-market, right, journey. You talk about kind of partnering with your CMO and it really is that, right? Because the technology and the data, it touches every part of the business and it's no longer like it's just a tool for marketing or just for sales, right? Or just for sort of post-sales. Are there things that you think, you know, go-to-market teams should be thinking about or maybe doing differently from the approach of the buyer, you know, because things are changing from a buyer experience? Yeah, there's two things that really come to mind for me. The, you know, one, the reality is that, you know, the idea of people being afraid of changing out vendors mm doesn't exist anymore. That's right. <laughs> People will change even within year one. If it's not working, we are seeing buyers are going and they're just ripping and replacing it. Yep. It's like, nope, this is not living up to the promise. Don't like it. We're going to get rid of it. So if you're part of a go-to-market engine, you got to be thinking about just not just winning the client, but like, how do I really, really help them successfully implement? How do I drive, you know, happiness? Yep success in using the product from day one because the moment they purchase the clock's ticking to when they're going to consider kicking you out <laughs> so be very maniacal about that implementation and that customer success process i think the second part of it is just the buying mechanics are changing i think people are demanding price transparency I mean, they're using you know, reviews they're using outreach platforms communities to start just asking, like, what are you paying? What's the average price here? They're using, you know, SaaS spend management type tools to like understand what's a fair price. Mm -hmm. And so we as a go-to-market team you know, really should be thinking about how can we create more price transparency to then lead to the other dynamic, which is really interesting. People are willing to buy even higher spend ticket on a credit card. People are willing to transact with the rise of all the marketplaces right now. People are willing to just buy it, whether they're putting it on like their AWS bill or an Azure bill, mm -hmm. or they're just purchasing it directly online through e-commerce portals and marketplaces directly. Like that point of transaction doesn't have to be the physical type of transaction, the in-person type of transaction, the high touch transaction that we're used to. Mm -hmm. So they're, really savvy. They're willing to make the purchase on their own. And then they have very high expectations for you to live up to what you promised. Yeah. And we we got to just think about each of those touch points in helping them pre-sale, purchase and post-sale a little bit differently. Yeah. I love that. It's so true. I mean, and the so frictionless, we talk a lot about this frictionless buyer process, yeah. right? Because we we as consumers, even we're very demanding, right? We go, we do all of our research. We know what we want to buy and we know what we want to pay for it and sort of what we're expecting, you know, as the return. So that's really good feedback. I love that. You know, you talked about customer success a little bit, driving value for customers, right? And I think, mm -hmm. you know, the wonderful thing is like you get a chance probably to work with many different customers, right? And you have an opportunity to really help these customers be successful. What is your, I guess, your philosophy around driving, you know, customer success, customer value, and even customer retention? and how has that really contributed to sort of the growth that you've experienced? Yeah, I think for, for us, we're, you know, we're not trying to, to be revolutionary. We're just trying to do what's right for the customers. Mm -hmm. And so our, our philosophy is we want to create, you know, we want to create teams, we call them pods internally, that 
partner with clients for long-term relationships. And our CSMs, the customer success managers, are kind of the epicenter of how do we help you use what you've purchased really well. Mm -hmm. So philosophically, I want them to be some of the most knowledgeable people in our company about our offering, how to use it, what integrations are available, how those integrations work, mm -hmm. so that they can be that trusted advisor for their clients to not only talk through like the starting point of implementing and using different G2 solutions, but to be there with them through regular check-ins, through quarterly business reviews, through executive briefings and you know updates on our roadmap, to be the person that's advising them on what's next. What else could we be doing? Where you're not getting the return, how can we help give you more advice, help push you down the path, learning from others, mm -hmm. What could you change to get a better outcome? Yeah. And so philosophically, it's just build great rapport, mm -hmm. understand how our clients operate, what value they're trying to create, and then be their advisor along the path to help them deliver that ROI. I love that. And so it doesn't feel revolutionary to me, <laughs> but it's uh, crazy important yeah. to make sure that we're not leaving customers behind to fend for themselves. Yeah. I love that. I love that quite a bit. So let's pivot a bit to an area of passion for me. <laughs> so selfishly, you know, I think, right, and revenue, revenue operations, you know, the function, especially the RevOps leader, right, is that powerful secret weapon um, for the revenue team and for the CRO. I I kind of don't think it's a secret anymore. People are talking about it so much now. It's become almost like just a buzzword. But, you know, we've talked about how critical that partnership is, right, between your role and my role, how the RevOps leader is sort of the eyes and the ears, you know, the chief of staff, the right-hand person to the CRO, really helping to identify those blind spots, help see around corners, right? So I guess for other CROs and maybe revenue leaders who aren't leveraging this sort of secret weapon yet, you know, what would you tell them? And, and I guess, how do you best leverage, you know, your ops leader to really help you enable and optimize your business? Yeah. The key thing I would say is you got to get comfortable moving into a data-driven revenue organization. The, I think gut instincts, the you know, quote unquote knowledge of the market, which tends to be you know too small of sample size, ad hoc, single customer meeting that you know creates a whole new go to market idea. <laughs> like whoa, let's learn from some of our marketing peers. Actually, let's learn from the CMO and the marketing operations team, and and let's put more diligence, let's put more data behind making what usually are very important decisions. Mm -hmm and potentially big ramifications if you make the wrong decision based on the gut instinct. So the leader of revenue operations and the entire team are the key ally for the revenue organization in really understanding and building a predictable long-term revenue strategy. And that's that to me is the biggest pivot of like why are you know, heads of revenue operations teams the secret weapon, the the best kind of folks that you should be thinking about hiring and really empowering. I think that's where RevOps has changed tremendously from, you know, what would historically be branded as sales operations, which was more of like run the core processes to revenue operations, which is, hey, let's think bigger. Let's connect a long-term strategy to short-term operational capabilities 
and really be a part of building that multi-year plan that sets a business up for where they want to be three years from now. And I think the, the predictive analytics, the data-driven decision-making is the most material change. And frankly, not everybody that comes from being in sales leadership is, is ready for that pivot yet, but we got to get comfortable with it. Yep. Love that. I love that. You know, do you have any predictions, I guess, for maybe where the RevOps role is headed? I think it only grows in importance within the companies. I believe that the, the revenue operations team is, you know, it's going to continue looking and adding role types that help bring insights to the data that the business has and the external data that's available to help drive the decision engine of the business. And it kind of depends on what model you're in. Are you a marketing led model? Are you a sales oriented culture? You know, for a culture that's, you know, a mix of both at G2, you know, I, I wanna make sure that we're looking at bringing in, you know, data scientists and others that are just a different skill set that add a different capability, a different way of mm -hmm. thinking to not just give us the basics of what the data says, but to start doing a lot more modeling, a lot more predictive analytics and utilizing the tech that's now available, which you know, as, as somebody that, that works at G2, I know full well, the proliferation <laughs> of tech that you could buy as a CRO mm -hmm. is amazing, like yeah. scary. There's so much. We're, we're currently doing a full top to bottom assessment of our tech stack. And it's a multi-month yeah. project <laughs> to just get our arms around. The yeah, work. yeah, just to get your arms. And then understand if we're optimizing it. And so, like, you're going to have like this need for the RevOps team to be an amazing kind of data science, predictive analytics team. They're going to have to be tech savvy mm -hmm. to then connect the dots on how all the systems operationalize the ideas that come from those insights. And then the doing, like the day job, like, hey, let's just keep our Salesforce instance or other technology platform that you're using, make sure the data is structured, accessible, so that, you know, we can keep track of whether or not we're actually going to get where we say we're going to yep. get. Yep. Love that. Love that. So now as I think about the revenue engine and this podcast, I always hope that, you know, others will be able to learn, right? How to accelerate revenue growth mm -hmm. and really power the revenue engine. What are the, maybe from your perspective, what are the top couple of things, maybe two or three things that you think, you know, hey, all CROs or revenue leaders should really be thinking about today that will really make that difference in driving revenue growth? Yeah. Uh, I'll start with one that may feel a bit weird, <laughs> but one of the things we've actually thought about is for new customers, are we bringing them in on the right level of product? Or are we bringing them in too high? Like there's too much to think about. There's too much to accomplish. And there's not enough internal buy-in from all the stakeholders that would be needed to use everything that you're buying up front, which then creates months and months of you and your primary stakeholder trying to get you know, in our case, a marketing operations team involved, e-commerce or a website team involved, and then a product marketing and a demand gen marketing and so forth. And so it's like, hey, you know, we're kind of setting some of these relationships up for a quarter or two quarters of battles, right? Like, why don't we just start smaller 
and it sounds contrary as a CRO, but it's like, hey, maybe we start with a smaller first mm -hmm. sale, start building that relationship, build around that core partner. And then as you're organically building that relationship, you're going to get introduced or asked to be introduced to others. So for us, it's like, hey, let's let's start on essential. Let's build out your presence. Let's increase your discoverability. Let's increase the call to actions that you're utilizing to start finding buyers that are willing to raise their hand and engage with you on, on G2. Okay, now that we're getting that started, let's start talking with the product marketing, demand gen teams, the media teams about how would we use a buyer intent to start going to market together, to start reaching out to those in-market buyers to start flowing this into your sales outreach programs to prioritize and increase the productivity of your sales team of reach out to the people who are in market right now. And so it's like, let's not jump too far ahead. So that's one, which is, you know, ultimately going to be about yeah. retention. Yep. Start with great relationships and expand from there. I think the second one is obviously very well known in the SaaS world, but it's not maybe done as well is just having a really strong add-on product mm -hmm. strategy, right? I feel like it's not done well in some instances where people are in absence of having good additional products that add more value. They're cutting up the core of what you're buying and just trying to charge you more for like little things that oftentimes yeah. should come with the purchase. And I think that just also creates really frustrated clients. I've been in this instance with a relatively recent purchase where, you know, once it got time for contract signature, all of a sudden I'm like, well, what are these additional fees all of a sudden <laughs> that are on this invoice? Like, oh, well, this is standard. And oh, this, you know, customer service doesn't come with this. I'm like, so you're selling me a product that nobody can help me use. It's like this, uh, it's not the best way. Like add-on to me would be the core, like that mm -hmm. should come with it. And then, you know, build add-on products that help me do more with this over time, that help me get even more yep. value um, as I get more and more sophisticated at using your tech. And so those are two basics right now. Like, again, not, not crazy different, but really overlooked. As, you know, I look at stuff we're purchasing, as I talk to customers, there's, there's not as well thought out of an add-on strategy that says, all right, Year one, this is what you start with. Year two, here's additional things you can buy to enhance and be like pro level, expert yeah. level and utilize this to to grow with your organization. Yeah, yeah that actually makes a lot of sense because a lot of times we, as buyers, right, we purchase more than what we really need initially. We can kind of buy all the bells and whistles, but you don't really gain the value of that. And to your point, it takes a while for users to get up to speed on different technology and become really, you know, an, an expert at using the tech. And then you're ready for sort of the next level and the next. So, yeah, it's interesting. We see this in on the G2 marketplace and mm -hmm. the feedback. We see this in reviews a lot where people will call out, they're like, I, I got overcharged oh. because they're thinking about all these features as add-ons. And they're like, man, I, I bought, you know, I bought the Rolls Royce, <laughs> but I was really only ready. Yeah. And that's a big mistake. Now, if I'm on the, if I'm a sales leader on the other side, that's a client that's about to churn and they're going to go to a competitor or they're going to massively downgrade with me. And, you know, probably churn out after mm -hmm. year two. So it's just, you know, we really have to understand what a client is ready for 
and just think from that point of view as we work with product to build what we're selling uh, and ultimately think about it from a customer success and support process yeah, too. Love that. Are there things that maybe you wish you knew earlier in your career or maybe you might do differently if you could do it all over again? Uh, well, <laughs> one thing, one thing is, geez, hard to narrow in on that. You know, I think I'll, I'll take a slightly different approach to this, but I think it's it's really relevant for you know, any leaders that are are listening in. If you know Enneagrams as like one of those ways to like learn about your personality, I'm I'm a, a type three Enneagram, which is achiever, and so it's like the person that's just always driving forward. And I think there's uh, an, uh, the pro and the con of that. The con that took me too long to learn about was because I'm always driving forward. One, I'm not celebrating the success of the team mm. enough in the moment. And two, we can take on too much. And I think in a world where you're partnering more and more with the revenue operations team, you can have a lot of questions. <laughs> you can have a lot of ideas that you want to analyze, but you got to bring extreme focus and prioritization. And LinkedIn was uh, an ex you know, example of a company that I worked at where, you know, Jeff Wiener, the former CEO was extremely good about just preaching focus and truly living that. And so it was a great example to learn from that helped me get more focused. And, and with focus, my team felt more buy-in. They were, not overworked yeah. as much as well. And I think even to this day, there's still examples where, where I'm learning from trying to create more mm -hmm. focus and need really strong leaders around me to be like, hey, we're, we're getting, we got too much going on right now. Like, let's slow it down. Can we hold on a few of these things? Let's not move too fast on everything. And so that's, to me, one of the things I wish I would have learned mm -hmm. earlier and I'm constantly trying to get back. Got it. Got it. That's good feedback too. I like that one. I think a lot of us are trying, we try to boil the ocean. We try to do everything because everything is important, right? And I think that's one of the questions I get quite a bit is around how do you prioritize when everything is important, right? And I think being practice makes perfect in that sense, right? Just really getting really focused and really good at it is really important. Well, so thank you so much for joining me, Mike. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask two things. One, you know, what is the one thing about Mike that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is that one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? And just so you know, a lot of times mm -hmm. guests will say it's the same thing. Well, <laughs> Sometimes it's the same thing. If you know me well... People are surprised to learn that I have an introvert side to me. As a sales leader, you tend to be very, tend to be, I'm <laughs> stereotyping, but you usually are a little bit more outspoken. You're very comfortable in crowds. And yes, I am. But I also really need that time to myself. I need the me time. I need the recharge time. I need the time to think and process. And so that's one thing many people are surprised to, to learn about me. The thing I would want everybody to know is that it's, there's never perfection. I don't ever feel like I have perfection as I was just sharing on the focus part. Like I had a learning moment recently about, you know, how, how to keep creating really transparent conversations at all levels of my team as it's scaling up to, to know sooner when people are hitting mm -hmm. the wall, when people are feeling overworked or just stressed out. And so to know about, you know, to know about me is that I'm, I'm trying 
to become even better at active listening and just having a strong pulse and continuing to support people in just balance. Like it's so tough when we're used to working at our little home offices now that we're just working <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And I want to make sure that, you know, everybody takes a step back, myself included, to enjoy some of the sunshine that's coming here in the Chicagoland area. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Mike. This has been really great. I can't wait to kind of go back and listen to a lot of this. I think you've given a lot of really great insights, just a lot of great tips. I think people can really apply even, you know, take today and apply to their sort of real life examples of things that they can do. So really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being a guest. Well, thank you as well. Thank you. 